0: Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. So we're in this series called Life on Purpose, and when you go to discover, you're going to it's going to help you find out more how you're uniquely wired and gifted, and you get to know a little bit more about your purpose. But this morning, I want to talk to you about our collective purpose. As a church, as a body of believers, if you've said yes to following Jesus, then you have the same purpose that I have. And I want us to dive into that this morning. Um, I think if we could kind of whittle down what it means to follow after Jesus, if we could simplify it, I'd Take it down to these two simple things. The Bible says to love God and to love other people. I like simple. I don't like complicated. And sometimes we have to remind our side ourselves of the simplicity of following Jesus—to love God and to love other people. Um, we find that in the Old Testament, a guy by the name of Moses got something called the Ten Commandments from God. God wrote him, you know, told him, and like he chiseled them out on stone and gave them to Moses and the first five commandments were all about loving God and the second five were all about loving other people and I want to share a verse with you this morning where Jesus echoes this truth again and in Matthew twenty-two thirty-six, 36 we see that Jesus says one day a man asked Jesus teacher which is the most important commandment And Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is equally important, to love your neighbor as yourself. I believe that if we would simply love God and love other people, everything else in our life and our Christian walk would fall into place. The things that we talk about in our small group during the week, the things that we maybe encourage you with on social media, and the things that we preach on Sunday morning, the things like generosity or forgiveness or purity or joy, all of those things would come if we would simply love God and love other people those things will work themselves out. Um, This this last couple of weeks, Tim preached on our individual purpose and helped us understand how we get to know that, that if we would fully submit our lives to Jesus, that we would be able to come to know and discover what our unique purpose looks like. So he kind of already preached half my message. He totally preached about loving God and how we can submit our lives to him fully. So I'm not going to or reteach that because that would just be redundant, right? So I want to invite you, if you haven't been here, if maybe this is your first time or you, you haven't, you weren't here last week or the week before, you can go on to our website, go to tfh.church and click on watch and listen and check those two out. But today we're going to focus on the back half of that, love God and then love people. We're going to focus on what our collective purpose looks like as we love other people. Amen? Good? that be good? All right. So Jesus said in Matthew 22, he said, I want you to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And I think that Jesus made that statement knowing that it's easy for us to love ourselves. Who who loves, just, just be bold, I love myself this morning. Come on, we love ourselves. How do I know we love ourselves? Because when I wake up in the morning, it is not hard for me to think about myself right Because right away I'm like, I need coffee. Robin needs coffee. So I like mosey out to the kitchen and I just put my hand out and Tim hands me the coffee and I'm like, me, 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 me. And I go back and I sit down and I, as I'm drinking the coffee, I start thinking about Myself and what I want to accomplish that day. I start going through the to-do list and the accomplishments that you know I want to make in my life, the big and small. And it's not hard for me to think of myself. And then it's not hard for me to think of myself that maybe I need to feed myself. I don't even actually have to think about it. My stomach growls, and I'm like, it's time for food. So I go back to the kitchen and I put my hand out, and Tim hands me my breakfast because he makes me breakfast every morning. And then after that, I, I think about my Myself a little more and because I love myself, I gotta care for myself. So I head down to my garage gym and I start to work on myself. Then I sometimes look in the mirror while I'm working on myself. I look at myself. Actually, that's not true. That's just a Jim Gaffigan quote. I don't have mirrors in my garage. Just all the sweat, it's not a pretty sight. But I don't have to tell myself to love myself. It's easy for me to love me and to do things for myself. It's not hard for me to love my selfie. That's right, I said selfie. One of these. Oh, I stopped my timer. One of these. You know you do it, and you're like, this is the right, oh, this is such good. All these lights right here? This is a good angle. Hang on. Oh. Oh, that was that, do it again. I could, get, I could get you in the shot, too. I gotta start my timer again. There we go. Oh, sorry guys, our countdown clock stopped. So there we go. Just my confidence up here that I don't preach all afternoon. It's for your sake so you can eat lunch. How many of you have taken a selfie before? I, can you admit it? Can, who, come on, don't lie in church. Just taking a selfie. I went on my Instagram to see how many selfies I've taken since I opened up an Instagram account. And I am ashamed to say that I have taken over a hundred selfies. Yeah, you can gasp. I did. Thankfully, there were other people in most of those shots. It wasn't all me in good lighting. But we all have that tendency, like, well, I want to be in the picture. I want to be a part of this. How many of you, maybe you didn't post it on social media, but maybe you have taken a selfie. Who's my age and older? So, you know. 34 and up, in your 30s and up, do you remember before digital cameras? Number one, and before the tiny like camera app on your phone, we would hold up these massive Canon like cameras, and it weighed like seven pounds. And we're like, okay, everybody climb it. Everybody get in. Are you ready? And your hands shaking because it's heavy, and you take the picture but you don't know right away what it looked like because it was film, guys. We had to wait until we finished that roll of film and then we had to go all the way to Long's or Walgreens and drop off our film. Then we had to wait three days to see if we even got ourselves in the frame. And then we get it back and we're like, it's just the top of my head. Let's go back, everybody get in the van, we're going back. No, it's not hard for us to think of ourselves. And I think that the selfie is the perfect image, pun intended, for our self, self-obsession. How do I look? How do I feel? What do I need? What do I need to do to be the best in my job? What do I need to do to get noticed by those other people? What do I need to do to have... People follow me on Instagram and like what it is that I do. How can I get ahead? How can I be the best? How can I win? If we're honest with ourselves, we can have that tendency. Now, I don't think that it's bad to set goals in your life, okay? It's not bad to have some ambition. Where my Enneagram threes at, yeah? We got some goals, right? Those aren't bad things. And self-care isn't bad either. But I think that Jesus would want to remind us this morning what our goal is as a follower of Christ. That a life lived that is on purpose. So many times it looks different than what the world tells us our life should look like. The kingdom of God tends to be counterculture a lot of the time. I've been reading my Bible now for almost 20 years, and what I've come to find out that my Bible says something different than maybe social media or culture or my teacher or people say that I should be and who I am. And I want us to look at a verse, because Jesus said it himself. He said in Mark 9.35, If you wanna be first, then you must be last and the servant of all. Because the Bible's good, we're gonna read a little bit more of it. I want you to turn with me if you brought a Bible today to uh, the book of Samuel. And if I didn't say it before, we're titling this, did I say that? Stop the selfie. If you're taking notes and you're like, could you give me a title so I can write the date in my title? Turn to 1 Samuel. I'm going to give you a backstory story before you put that on the screen. Um, this is a time when King Saul was the king over the Israelites. And at this time, the Israelites were fighting against this other group of people called the Philistines. Now, this battle was going on, sometimes the, the Philistines were ahead. And then sometimes the Israelites were ahead and it went back and forth until one day the Philistines brought out their secret weapon. And you've probably heard this story even if you've never read the Bible before. But they brought out this secret weapon and his name was Goliath. Goliath was a giant. He maybe just was like mad because... You know, he didn't know what to do, and he just really needed to play basketball because he would have won. But Goliath was this scary, crazy-looking giant, and he would come out every day and taunt the Israelites. Like, come on, somebody come out and fight me. If they win, then you win the whole war, and we're done. But if I win, then we get to take you as captives. And the Israelites were freaking out until one day a teenager showed up on the scene a boy by the name of David who is probably around the age 16. And David wasn't a warrior, he was a shepherd boy. And he showed up and he said, "I'll go out and fight him." So David goes out to this battlefield not armed with a sword or any other thing that he could kill Goliath with that we would think that would be powerful, but he comes out with a slingshot. And he ends up killing Goliath or knocking him to the ground and then he killed him by cutting off his head and he brings it over to the Israelites and everybody screams and was like yes this is amazing we just won so we pick up our story in this moment where David defeated Goliath and he goes up to King Saul And King Saul starts congratulating him, probably thanking him. I imagine everyone was cheering for David in the fact that he just rescued them. So we pick up our story in 1 Samuel chapter 18. It says this, After David had finished talking with Saul, he met Jonathan, the king's son. There was an immediate bond between them, for Jonathan loved David From that day on, Saul kept David with him and wouldn't let him return home. And Jonathan made a solemn pact with David because he loved him as he loved himself. Jonathan sealed the pact by taking off his robe and giving it to David, together with his tunic, his sword, his bow, and his belt. We're gonna dive in, but let's pray real quick. Jesus, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you that we can gather this morning and that you wanna speak to our hearts. So I pray our hearts will be open to what you wanna say in Jesus' name, amen. Who in the room really enjoys music? You just, yeah, you like music. Who's the person who's like, every time a song comes on the radio, you like can name the artist, you can name the album. Who's good at that? Come on. Okay, well, we like to have fun in church, and there's a dance floor up here. So I thought, we should play some music. Let's play a little game. You guys up for that? Okay. So in a second, we're going to play a song, and I want you to shout out who wrote the song, Okay right after we play like scream in church like everybody just like say amen right now ready one two three see that's how you lift up your voice in church it works so good so call out if you know who wrote this song dj rich are you ready you ready okay play that song what was that oh you can turn i can't hear him what Katy Perry? No. Okay, play the next one. Play the next one. Maybe you'll get this one right. Go ahead. Oh, oh. He wants to dance too. It's going to take him a second. Oh, oh, it's fine. It's okay. It's okay. I'll just be up here. You know it. Who sings this? No, who, who wrote this? Who wrote this? Kelly, did you say Kelly Clarkson? Oh, Rich, Rich, this is your favorite tune, isn't it? No, it's not, it's not her. Um, Let's try it again, though. Don't be shy. Come on, I think you can get it. Okay, next, next song. It's quiet. It's fine. Cueing it up. Come on, call it out. No, oh, you're wrong again. That's so weird. You guys should listen to the radio more. Okay, last one. Last one. Maybe you'll get this one. This is like her only clean song. Come on, call it out. You're wrong again. You're wrong. You can turn it off. Actually, all of those artists, all the voices that you heard, although they sang this song, they're not the author of the song. They didn't actually write it. They maybe got all the credit. They maybe got all the attention. They maybe have people scream for them and run after them with cameras when they see them on the street but they're not the author of that song. See, there was somebody that was behind the scenes. Her name is Esther Dean, and she wrote all of those songs. She wrote countless others that you could probably memorize and quote, but she hung in the shadows not nearly as famous, not nearly as known, yet she was the one that deserves the credit and the honor. And when I read this story in Samuel, It reminds me of that because we read a story that we would say is about David this mighty guy who killed a giant and it was incredible and if you've been a christian long enough you've probably had this conversation with someone who's your favorite bible character i know it's such a cool christian game we play who's your favorite like who do you mostly relate to in the bible and so many people would say, David. Oh my gosh, I'm so, I just really relate to David. Our stories are just very similar. Like we just both started at the bottom and then we made it to the top. And David gets all this attention. And for good reason, David is incredible. David had songs written about him that, you know, Saul killed thousands, but David killed tens of thousands. He was an author in the Bible. He wrote Psalms that we read and sing today. I mean, David is the great, 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 and some more greats, grandson of the savior of the world. And by the way, he killed the giant. Like, there's good reason we pay attention and we talk about and we celebrate who David was. But today, I wanna look at somebody who we wouldn't look at and say that's the main character. I want to look at somebody that hung in the shadows, that played a supporting role, and his name was Jonathan. Because I think that Jonathan can teach us some stuff this morning about his life and the way that he lived. I want to explore two ways that Jonathan lived out Mark 9.35 and how he stopped the selfie in his own life. First, we see it says um, in 1 Samuel that after David finished talking with Saul, he met Jonathan, the king's son. Now, Jonathan wasn't just a part of the Israelite army. He was an incredible warrior. Just a few chapters before this part in 1 Samuel, we find out that that Jonathan had defeated over 20 uh, Philistines just with him and another buddy. He was an incredible warrior, a man of God. And Jonathan wasn't just the king's son, but he was the heir to the kingdom. He was next in line to be king. He was Simba. And when I think about Jonathan, I think about this amazing guy, this amazing individual. I wonder if there was this internal dialogue going on inside of Jonathan's mind. First, when he saw David defeat Goliath and cut off his head. And then later, when he saw David talking to Saul, telling Saul about his story of who he is, and what happened there on the battlefield about his background, I imagine that Jonathan had this internal dialogue because if we just wait a minute and if I didn't read further on in the story, if I just left it there that Jonathan met David, I think that maybe Jonathan would have felt some emotions, would have maybe felt a little bit jealous of David. A little bit jealous of this guy who just killed the giant and now was getting attention from all of the Israelite army. Who was getting attention from King Saul. And that maybe there would be this jealousy that would rise up inside of him. And that it might be kind of hard to like David, much less love David. And I think that many of us maybe can relate to this scenario. A scenario where maybe there's somebody else in your world that as our world saying, hey, you should be on top. You should be the best. You should keep the camera focused on yourself and what you want to do and what your goals are. That when somebody comes along who's maybe better at our job than us or better at something in life or looks like they have it all together, that jealousy can arise inside of us. And I don't think I'm alone in the room in feeling that, in walking through that. I don't know if you remember in uh, elementary school, if you remember, I remember this one kid in elementary that when it was test taking time, which I would need to sing, you're no longer (laughs) a slave of fear, because I just, I didn't love tests. And there was always that kid in my class that we were like seven minutes into our test and he would get up And he would walk to the front of the room and he'd lay his paper on the teacher's desk. And I'm still on number three, sweating. Like, what about me? Like, why can't I be like that? Or maybe it's that girl that you look at that eats anything she wants and she never gains a pound. And you're over here counting calories and sweating like a pig every day working out. What about me? Maybe you're in a work environment where you are working your butt off, but your coworker keeps getting picked for the promotion, keeps getting attention from your boss. What about me? Or maybe it's that person you see on social media and you see their life of perfection and you think, what about me? Or maybe maybe you can relate to my story I'd been married for five years. I was ready to finally start a family, and we were doing everything we knew how to do, and a year and a half passes, and still no baby. I was taking the supplements, I was going to the doctors, I was doing all this stuff. And then we're creeping up on two years. And my best friend, who was younger than me, who hadn't been married as long as me, who was supposed to be behind me on the journey, says, Surprise, we weren't even expecting it, but we're pregnant. What about me? What about me, God? What do you do in a situation like that? What do you do when something like that happens to you? Do you continue to love those people, or do those people just serve as a reminder that you're not where you should be? You're not in the place that you should be in. See, sometimes other people's promotion can be painful for us. And I'm sure that it could have been painful for Jonathan to see David getting all of this attention. And he's like, hey, what about me? But I love that that wasn't Jonathan's response. It wasn't his response at all. It says that Jonathan loved David. Somebody that was positionally below him. Somebody that wasn't supposed to be as good as him. He was younger than him by a few years. He wasn't positionally in a place of authority. And it says that he focused his attention on David and he loved him. Or let me say it like this. Another person was Jonathan's priority. The second thing that we see that Jonathan did is that he made a pact with David after they met. And it said, because he loved him as he loved himself, he sealed the pact by taking off his robe and giving it to David along with his tunic, his sword and all the items. He says, here you go, this is for you. The tunic, the robe, all the other things, they were a sign of honor. They were a sign of belonging. Jonathan was saying to David, you belong here. You're accepted here. I know you just came out from the field with the sheep, but you belong here and you're loved, and I have your back, and I believe in you, and my attention is focused on you. The Bible says that Jonathan and David were about the same age probably in their late teens, Jonathan just being a couple years older than him. And if you think back to high school, I know that might be difficult for more of some of you in the room that are a little older, but go back to high school with me just for a moment. We all know that crowd, the popular crowd, right? In my high school, they hung out by the lockers in the M-Wing. You were only cool if you got a locker in the M-Wing and they'd kick you out if you weren't. Like, "Eh, you're gonna need to go over there. But it was that popular crowd and everybody wanted to be accepted into their circle, invited over to the quad where they hung out at lunchtime and get accepted into their world. And I imagine someone like Jonathan, being that he was a prince and being that he hung around you know with the people whose name meant something I imagine he was a cool guy and I imagine everybody wanted to be in Jonathan's circle and cool tends to attract cool so I imagine that Jonathan had some cool friends now just go with me here for a moment because Jonathan hands David all of these things, and he says, here you go, now you look the part, now you can come, because David couldn't stand in these courts, he couldn't stand in this this, um, this status, he didn't have the status, so he gave him those items so he could stand with him in the palace, so he could be accepted, so he could look like one of the others and be in that circle. And I just imagine that his friends went, What are you doing, Jonathan? Like we understand he helped us, but the shepherd boy needs to go back home, okay? He kinda smells like sheep. Yeah, I'm not sure what's happening and he's still carrying that slingshot. Should I be frightened for my life? Is he gonna use it on me? I imagine that it was difficult for his friends to accept this shepherd boy into this inner circle and to accept that Maybe he was a little bit different. He was a little bit smelling like sheep, and he was a little bit hard to maybe be around. I wanna ask you this morning, who are those difficult people in your life? Who are those people that are kinda hard to be around? Is it your neighbor who always gets mad about where you park your car? Or how many friends you have over to your house? or how you keep your yard. I'm not speaking from experience or anything. Maybe you've just dealt with this, and nothing you do can seem to please him. He's just mad. It's kind of difficult to be around. Maybe it's that coworker that's just a bit of a jerk. And you're like, I wish you didn't work here. You should go somewhere else. Or maybe it's that family member at the, extend, the extended family when you have those gatherings and everybody's there, you don't get to choose your family, right? And your family's big enough that you could maybe avoid them and not have to have a conversation. They're just a little bit different. They're just a little bit out there. Maybe it's the homeless guy that is always at the door of your work when you're trying to get into your building just to go get on with your day, just a little bit too difficult just a little bit too much in your face. Or maybe it's a person that God has invited into this church that's sitting a few rows away from you that's just a little bit different, that maybe is just a little bit too difficult. See, as followers of Jesus, extending the love of God to all of these people isn't an option. It's a commandment. It's a commandment for us. In fact, it's the reason why we're on the planet. To love God and to love people. See, if people are our purpose, church, then people need to be our priority. Even the difficult ones. They need to be our priority. And I love this quote, From the book, Everybody Always by Bob Goff. When speaking about difficult people to love, he said this. What I've been doing in my faith is this. Instead, excuse me, instead of saying, I'm going to believe in Jesus for my whole life, I've been trying to actually obey Jesus for 30 seconds at a time. Here's how it works. When I meet someone who is hard to get along with, I think, can I love that person for the next 30 seconds? I try to love that person who's in front of me rather than merely agree with Jesus and avoid them entirely, which I'm sad to say comes easier for me. I try to see difficult people in front of me for who they can become someday, and I keep reminding myself about about this possibility for 30 seconds at a time. It's easy to agree with what Jesus said. What's hard is to actually do what Jesus did. I love the way that Jesus loved people. He didn't just love people, he searched them out. We see it in the Bible as we read it that he searched out people like a tax collector in a tree. Like a leper on the road. Or like an adulterer at the well. Or like a rebellious teenager. you're like, I don't remember that story. That's because that's my story. I was the rebellious teenager that was mad at everyone. That was causing problems in my family and friendships. That was, that was lying to people. I was difficult to love. You were difficult to love but he searched you out. And I love the truth of Romans 5.8. It says, God showed his great love for us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Come on, band, you guys can come. We'll close in just a minute. Church, as our culture encourages us to keep the camera focused on ourselves, I hear this gentle reminder from heaven saying hey I want you to look out there's some people out there to love I want you to get your eyes focused off yourself and what it is maybe you need and your goals are good but I want you to take a minute I want you to take a minute in this life and see who's out there because I didn't just tell you to love me I told you to love other people what i love back in matthew 22 jesus said i want you to love other people equally it's important for you to love god but it's equally important for you to love people it doesn't mean that as tim was preaching last week about loving god and about you know giving ourselves fully to him laying our life down on an altar that we've got to be perfect at loving God in order to go love somebody else. No, he said, I want you to do it equally. So the same time you love God, go love people, do it simultaneously. Because the more you start to love God, the more you start to love other people. And as we step out and love others, I think that God starts to show us his heart for them, who he says they truly are. And I think that this relationship and this scenario that we see in 1 Samuel with Jonathan and with David, we see where I think that God gave Jonathan a little bit of vision, a little bit of insight. I imagine God whispering in Jonathan's ear and saying, hey, I know he just looks like a shepherd boy, and I know he just did this mighty thing, but I've got great plans for this guy. Jonathan, would you go? Would you play a supporting role in his life? Hey, Jonathan, I know that everybody thinks you're gonna be the next king. I know everybody thinks you're gonna be the one to be on the throne next. But Jonathan, my plan is bigger than you. It's bigger than him, would you go? Jonathan could have kicked and screamed and said, what about me, God? What about my greatness? What about the plans for me? But instead, he simply loved God and he made a decision to love the person that God put in front of him. See, as we love God, what does loving our neighbor look like? What does it look like for you in your nine to five? What does it look like for you in the free time you have on the weekend? Does it look like celebrating the person at your work that gets the promotion? To truly be happy for them? To truly celebrate them? Does it look like searching out that person that nobody's talking to? Calling them into your circle and starting to call out? the things that are great in them, the things that maybe you don't even see yet? Does it look like giving up some of your time on a weekend, on a Sunday morning and volunteering over in kids so you can hold a single mom's baby who maybe had a rough week and she just needs to get in the house of God and finally not have to soothe her kid? Come on, what does it look like for you Does it look like walking just a little bit slower in this fast-paced, amazing city so you can have an opportunity on your way to work, on your way to your to-do list, on your way to your mission for your life to stop and see somebody, to see who God would have you focus on to love that day? Does it look like being an advocate for somebody who doesn't have a voice and can't speak up for themselves, but you speak up for them instead? Does it look like opening up our life and saying, God, I am purposed. I'm purposed today not to love you, and that's all I do, and then it's all about me. No, God, I'm gonna love you, and then I'm gonna walk out and begin to love people in a greater way. We have incredible people in this church. You're sitting in the room. You wake up early, and you come set this place up The people like we honored this morning. Maybe it's not here that you volunteer, but maybe you volunteer during the week and you go help people. Maybe you're the best neighbor who takes care of all of their needs. Even the ones who, like, drive their car in and close the garage behind them, you, like, wait outside till they get, like, I'm going to love you. I'm going to love you. Church, a lot of us do this. But I felt this call this week as I was praying, God, I want to love you more. I want to love the people around me more. Bible says we go from faith to faith and glory to glory. God, I want more of your glory, and I want to extend more of it to other people. Come on, what does it look like? What does love look like this week for us, church? What does love look like this year? Not just our own goals, but the goals God would have for us to find somebody else to love. Back to our story with Jonathan and David. Ultimately, If you read some 20 years later, after this part in Samuel, we see that Jonathan continued to love David. He continued to be there and play a supporting role in his life. And that eventually, Jonathan laid his life down on a battlefield and died next to his father Saul so that he could promote David to be king ultimately he was willing to give up his life for another person's sake and that same thing that he did that story of Jonathan and David it's not just their story it's your story it's this entire planet story that royalty came in the form of a baby Left heaven and all of what it is to come to earth, to dwell among us, to walk with sinners, to invite the proud into his world, to invite the broken into his world, to wash people's feet and to serve them and ultimately give up his life and die on a cross for all of us. Come on, this story of Jonathan and David is a picture of Jesus who gave it all up for us. And he didn't just do it so that we could enjoy what's been done. But he did it so that we can turn and do the same for others. And that's our call this morning, church. We will not be a central focused church. Come on. Church doesn't just happen on Sunday morning from 10 to eleven fifteen. Church happens during the week. Church happens when we walk outside these doors and we walk into the broken's lives. We walk into the people's lives that are too proud that we think have it all together. Come on, church looks like waking up and saying, God, who should I love today? God, who have you purposed me to love today? God, I'm not gonna hold back. I'm not going to stay in my own circle, in my own spot, but I'm willing to step out because you've told me to love you and go love some other people because people are our purpose. God, let us not forget that people are our purpose. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we want to pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.